Hey everyone, welcome to Aerospace Live. My name is Bob Roberts. I want to thank you for joining tonight. Now today we are honored to be speaking to the first Latina pilot on the U.S. aerobatics team. Now she started flying relatively later in life, but in the span of just six years, she went from soloing to being the fourth ranked women's aerobatics pilot in the world. And in the U.S., she was ranked the fourth ranked pilot between the women and men on the U.S. aerobatics team. Now if that wasn't enough, she's a full-time professor in the College of Engineering at the University of Washington in Seattle. Now, she's also worked with Nobel Prize winners. She's taught astronauts how to fly, which is pretty incredible, and even worked with NASA on the Mars missions. This has also led President Obama to call her one of our top scientists and engineers in the country. Now she adds the title of author to her credentials and has written this book, Flying Free, My Victory Over Fear to Become the First Latina Pilot on the U.S. Aerobatics Team. So with that, let's welcome Cecilia Aragon. Hey, Cecilia. Cecilia, how are you? I'm doing great, Bob, and thank you so much for having me. I, you are, we are honored that you are here. So I appreciate you joining. And uh, I know uh, from all of our Civil Air Patrol members, we have a, a module that we teach all of our cadets on aerobatics. And it, I know that we are going to put a link to this on their module. Um, and so hopefully we'll get a lot of cadets that will uh, learn your name. And more importantly, I want to tell you why um, I had I wanted to invite you specifically. One, you have a great book. I, I have read this book. I highly recommend this book. Um, and I've taken lots of notes in this book. As I told Cecilia when we were before we got started, I am six foot seven. Those of you that know me have seen me. I'm six foot seven. I'm not going to fit in this airplane. <laughs> so I have to live vicariously um, through our aerobatic pilots. Um, but I have another uh, another reason I asked you, Cecilia, to join, and that is because. I believe personally, the U.S. does a really poor job of getting women into aviation and aerospace. Um, uh, I teach a lesson on the beginnings of the history of spaceflight. And yes, Yuri Gagarin was the first person in space. The second person in space was a female and from Russia. And it took the U.S. 20 years after Russia was able to launch a female into space to get the first woman from the U.S. into space with Sally Ride. Um, and so uh, I think we have a lot of work to do. Um, and I will say about a third of my cadets are women and they are surrounded. Fantastic. It is fantastic. And when I ask them who wants to be a pilot, I get lots of hands. Um, and so what I want is I want them to see other successful women aviators. They are oftentimes surrounded by pictures of men and I want them to see that they have role models out there like you um, that can really somebody to, for them to latch onto. So that so that is um, my side reason for asking you to be on this show. So thank you for all that work and being a role model for for our ladies. Well, thank you so much, Bob, and thank you also for doing your best to get more girls and women involved in aviation because I think it's it's a wonderful activity and. It's so much fun, and why should women be shut out of doing something so cool and so important, really, for our country, too? So, Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> now, all right, so let's just jump right into this, because people hate it when I talk too much. Uh, that's the one comment I get, Bobby, talk too much. So, so uh, I've got a couple of questions for you. Uh, we'll get ourselves started. So you did not start, you did not have an aviation family. Um, so how did you first get introduced into flight? All right. So not only did I not have an aviation family, my parents are both immigrants, and they actually both had very negative impressions of aviation. My mother is Filipina, and she grew up in Manila during World War II, and she remembers Japanese bombers coming by overhead. And whenever she hears propeller aircraft, she would panic. And my dad saw an air show and he saw the pilot crash. And so when I started flying, they were really against it, just, just so you know. But in the end of the book, they support me. Um, but let me tell the story of how I got involved in, in flying. Um, it has to start with the story of me as a child, because I was incredibly fearful. I was afraid of heights, I was afraid of ladders, I was afraid of elevators. 
I was, in short, afraid of doing pretty much anything that was new to me or that was outside my comfort zone. And as a result, by the time I was 25 years old, I found that my life was getting more and more narrow because whenever there was an opportunity to do something that would be challenging or exciting, I would say, oh, maybe that's not safe. Maybe it's not the right thing for me to do. And what happened is I realized that I couldn't go on living my life that way. So when a friend of mine at work offered me a chance for a ride in a small airplane in a Piper Archer that he was going to rent from the local flying club, my first thought was, oh, I have to say no because I don't want to die. I was pretty ignorant about flying. Um, but then I remember at that moment saying, you know, at some point you have to take a stand. You have to say, am I going to live the rest of my life afraid and hiding and making things narrower and narrower? Or am I going to take a chance just this once? So I said, yes. And I can tell you the whole story of the flight if you're interested, or we can go on to your next question. Uh, what I want to do is I want to, I always try to leave a little bit that's in the book. So, um, uh, I know the story and I hope that other people will read your book to find the story. Uh, cause it is a really nice story. Um, the one thing I will say when I read that, um, and I'm so happy that it turned out so incredible for you. Um, you know, you got into the air and you're like, you started letting go and you're like, Oh, this is great. Um, I, I will say I, I, you know, one thing I took from it on a personal level is that when you, when those of us that are flying, if we take people flying with us that aren't used to airplanes, do a really good job doing that first time passenger brief. So they know when you're checking the fuel, what you're doing. Um, if you're going to ask them to read a map, you just don't say, Hey, where is this on the map? And you're giving it to somebody who's never seen an aviation map ever in their life. <laughs> so um, for you, it worked out really good. For somebody else, it may freak them out. <laughs> so uh, well, I was freaked out. But the fact was that being up in the air is so wonderful. And being able to control an airplane on your own, seeing the world from a thousand or two thousand feet above it, it's like nothing else. It's I mean, a different perspective. It, it yeah. was so beautiful. It just, it struck me so strongly that I knew that I had to do it. <laughs> you know, it's like when the astronauts say, you know, when they, you know, the, the few of the 300, I think we have now astronauts that have ever, you know, you know, breached, uh, the, the, you know, the, the planet, um, you know, they will say when, when, once they look down on the earth, even if they're low, low earth orbit, um, they just have a different perspective. Now in aviation, we don't have, we're not that high to get that perspective, but we absolutely, you got it that day. Um, you get a different perspective when you are that thousand and you know what? No offense to the folks and the folks who go, well, I fly in an airliner. It is not the same. Um, not the same. Um, when you, when you're, when you're that 2000 feet and you're flying in between mountain ridge lines and you know, the fall has come or there's a fresh snow on the ground. Yes. Nothing like it. Nothing like yes. it. Nothing like it. Um, all right. So, um, let's see here. So I want to know after that first time that you had the flight, how did that change your, it mean, cause it, in the book, it's, it, it, it's like a light switch, right? So how did that change your life? Well, I mean, it changed everything in my life. I believe very strongly that learning to fly and overcoming my fear of flying in particular enabled me to achieve what I have today. There are so many things like getting my PhD, applying for jobs that I really loved, like at NASA or as a professor that I would never have done before because I would have talked myself out of it. I would have said, I can't do that. I'm not good enough to get a PhD in computer science. One of the professors at my university said, women don't have the intellectual capacity for computer science. That's crazy. And even though I didn't really believe that, part of me did. 
And that kind of subconscious worry ate at me. So whenever I did, you know, whenever I didn't do as well as I expected on a test, that voice would play in my head. So saying to myself, well, I learned to fly. You know, I went from being scared of, you know, climbing a stepladder to flying an airplane and even to doing aerobatics. That made me realize, you know what, if I can get in my airplane and point the plane straight at the ground at 250 miles an hour, I can apply for a job that's challenging. You know, I can do it. And flying does that for you. It's, it's so all-consuming and, and it makes you have to focus. It makes you have to really face yourself emotionally. As a flight instructor, I've realized what an, it's a very emotional process to learn to fly. And, and you learn a lot about yourself and about who you are and it gives you confidence and it makes you, well, it makes you really stronger and braver, I have to say. And um, that is how it changed my life. You know? And I think it, I've seen it do that for other people too. Yeah, I wanted to go back to something you had mentioned earlier and it was actually you tied really well into my questions. And Cecilia, guys, she has not seen my questions in advance, so she's not sure where I'm going yet. Um, but uh, you know, when you talk about um, that teacher, right? Who said you can't do it. Um, you know, I, I have some of my cadets, right. Who talk to me, um, about things. My oldest daughter, she's a sophomore, um, at Clemson in engineering. Um, and you know, it makes me so angry when I, when I hear that. Um, and not just that you had to deal with a lot of bullying too. Um, you, you got, it seems like, um, you know, your, your father, he moved around a little bit um, from, from his jobs as a, as a PhD as well. Um, and unfortunately, you know, you got, you got kind of the, 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 the trifecta, you got bullied, there was racism and there was sexism. Um, and so, you know, being able to, let me ask you, so let me ask you this question. So if, if you've got a young lady out there today, right. And she's experiencing all those things. What, what words of advice, you know, um, or support, you know, would you give her? So thank you for that question. Um, this is why I wrote the book in the first place. This is the book I would have loved to read when I was 12. <laughs> um, it's really, I mean, I think in many ways I was fortunate because I did have a father who really believed in me. Um, he was a voice of support who told me that I could do whatever I wanted. Um, so the first thing I would say to a young woman who's struggling with this is find a mentor. Find someone who's positive, who will tell you, you can do anything. You know, it doesn't really matter where it can, it can be online, it can be at school, it can be friends. You don't have to get it from a single person. Find people who will tell you that you can do it because we all we're social beings and we all need a community to help us. And the other thing I would say is I think being in the aviation community is a wonderful start for girls because as soon as I joined the aviation community, I received so much support and it was support for what I could do as a person. You know, and I for the first time really I was being judged for my accomplishments, that I was a pilot, I loved flying, and that I had, you know, and that I was flying aerobatics and winning contests, and not because of my race or gender. And, you know, of course, not everybody was like that, but the community as a whole was incredibly welcoming. And it made a big difference to me. The other thing I would like to say to young women in particular is the other magic trick that saved me was math because I did sadly have some teachers who said to me when I wrote an essay with you know with with an advanced vocabulary they would say oh you know this this can't be your words you must have plagiarized because they couldn't believe that a daughter of immigrants who had two parents who spoke with thick accents could write well 
And sadly, you know, for a while, I kind of believed them. But the great thing about math, the really wonderful thing about math, when you get the answer right, no one can take that away from you. I mean, so, I mean, this is why I really encourage girls today to get into a STEM field because there is nothing, there is nothing like standing in front of a room of people who kind of don't believe in you and then you silence them with your love of numbers. It's very powerful. And I also want to say sometimes I've, some girls have told me, well, I'm just not very good at math. That's not you. The reason you're having trouble in math is not you. You have a teacher who's not good enough. All right. Because a good teacher should be able to make anybody love math. I believe that with my heart and soul. And I'm a teacher. And I feel that way about my students. I always, if there's somebody who's having trouble in one of my classes, I take extra time to meet with them and I make sure they understand it's not them. Most of all, I tell them, I have very high standards for you, but I'm sure you're going to meet them. And that's something I think that girls need to hear, both of those. You know, you need to have somebody who has high standards for you, who doesn't say, oh, you're just gonna slide through this. You need to want to take on a challenge and you need to have somebody who's gonna say, the challenge will make you grow. It will make your life better for the rest of your life. Well, I'll tell you, I'm gonna do everything I possibly can. I'll be honest with you. I'm gonna probably take just that little snippet that you just said there. I'm gonna pull that outside of this larger discussion. And I'm gonna try to make sure that, that gets in front of as many possible people as I humanly can at CAP. With my and, and outside of that too, for it matters. Um, I, I have had so many of of our lady cadets have come to me and said, you know, Bob, I'm just not good at math. Um, and just like you said, and and you know what I try to tell them is, listen, it has nothing to do with you not being good at math. You know, if somebody, if if I was going to learn English for the first time, and somebody started speaking to me in gibberish, and then I went and I spoke in gibberish because I never learned how to speak properly. It's not because I can't learn how to speak English. It's because somebody taught me gibberish. Exactly. So, um, and just keep with it. And eventually you find that one teacher that hopefully, you know, makes a click. Um, And you're right. There are, unfortunately, uh, I love all my math teachers. I'm not picking on you. Um, But unfortunately there are some that, um, you know, they, they, (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so I, I know at the college level, sometimes you have to reteach math. Um, you know, even the kids that took AP, um, yes. you know, to kind of get them there. My daughter's going through that now. She took AP math and, um, you know, there was a lot of times I had to help her with things to kind of relearn things. So, so. And it's, and you know what, it's not shameful right. to get, I mean, to get it, it just means you don't have the right preparation. I mean, I do talk about that a little bit in the book. I have mm-hmm. a story where I talk about when I was, I I spent a year in Germany and I didn't know any German and I had two teachers. And this is an example of what it means, what's the difference between a good teacher and a teacher who's maybe not as good. Um, I had a German teacher who was teaching German literature and this was in 10th grade. And he told me, well, there's no way that you as a non-native speaker will understand the subtleties of German literature. So why don't you just sit in the back and you know read a book or something okay and and then but then i had a french teacher and what was really interesting is she was teaching fourth year french because everybody in 10th grade in this school took fourth year french now i had no french i knew even less french than i learned knew german and she but so i assumed she would do the same thing because it's impossible right but she made me she made me take all the tests And then she found me a volunteer tutor, another student who came and worked with me a couple hours a week on basic French. And, you know, and what happened, so long story short, by the middle of the the year, by January, um, she handed back a test to me and on it was the equivalent of a D minus. It was the first test in French I had passed. And she put it on my desk with this big grin. And she said, 
Congratulations, <laughs> you got a D minus. And to tell you the truth, today I'm still really proud of that D minus. It's one of the grades I believe in the most. Because and by the end of the year, you know, so I got a I was one of the top three students in French in a German school. As right? as, as an English speaking and, American student. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in and in German, of course, I failed. So I was the same student in both classes, but in one, the teacher had high expectations for me and made me work mm -hmm. and got me help too, got me support, didn't like yell at me if I didn't produce enough. In the other one, they just kind of said, well, it's too much work. I just won't do it. I'll give up. Yeah, as the saying goes, the worst thing about setting low expectations is people actually meet them. Exactly. So. I mean, and I met the expectations of both teachers. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, I'll always, you know, I, I tell my daughter cause she's in engineering school, right. And she has all of the early engineering fun, right. <laughs> she's used to being the standout star in school and all of a sudden she's surrounded by standout stars. Right. She's got to work a lot harder to get a C or a B, you know, right. you know, the easy A. <laughs> that's right. Do it. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, a hard, a hard C is always better than an easy A. Yes. And she should be proud of herself for what she's doing. And I'm glad that you're supporting her mm -hmm. because all I think this happens to bright students and particularly bright girls is that they're used to some, you know, secondary school being kind of easy. And then they get into college and suddenly it's really hard. And they instead of saying, oh, it's hard now, they say, oh, I guess I was not smart. Right. And that's what I see happening in college. It happened to me. That's something we really need to work around. Let me ask you a question on that. This wasn't one of my questions, but let's lead. I want to lead into that a little bit. So um, this is really valuable, especially for my, you know, for my ladies that are going to be listening to this. So especially at that age group, are, do you feel that ladies are harder on themselves? They have more self-doubt, um, you know, when they, when they get into those situations? I have seen this happening for many women I have taught. My belief is that it comes from, you know, kind of a screwed up society, which mm -hmm. teaches girls sometimes, oh, just sit back and relax. You know, you shouldn't try hard. You know, you just want to look pretty in the corner, you know, and um, it's really important to hold girls and women to standards, but to also give them emotional support. I, I think because... I mean, from childhood, girls are taught in many ways they're not quite as good enough as guys. I mean, that's it's not deliberate. It's unconscious. You know, people who don't want to be sexist are just conveying it because we're all part of this kind of screwed up society, right? And it's going to take all of us as mentors reaching out and saying, hey, don't listen to this. And it's also going to take all the us women, too, to say... I'm not going to let a screwed up system make me screwed up about myself. I'm going to fight it. You know, if it's more difficult, I'm going to do it. Man, I love that. I really do. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so a couple of questions here. I got to see. I, we kind of talked about a few of these already. Um, yeah. You know, we, we kind of already talked about um, about your your family living in Manila during World War II. Um, cause I did want to point out when I was reading the book that is as incredible as your story is. And it is, um, I found your mom's story really incredible, right? For totally different reasons, but every bit as incredible. Um, you know, she, like you said, she lived in a roofless house. Um, you know, the Japanese well, planes are no. flying. No, the house had a, had a thatched roof. It was the outhouse. Where oh, she went to okay. No <laughs> All right. I'm picturing this lady like sleeping under the stars <laughs> over up on her house. Okay. I misread that. Um, you know, but, but she got, so you, okay. So I want the listeners to, to imagine this, right? So you're in Manila, you're living in a thatched roof house. You have the Japanese flying over you. So you're afraid for all of that. Fast forward a couple of years or a decade or whatever it is you can tell us. Um, and all of a sudden she's at Berkeley under it with a scholarship. Um, so, the, you know, your progression from solo to aerobatic mastermind in six years is incredible. 
but your mother's journey from thatched house in Manila to scholarship student in Berkeley is every bit as incredible. And so I don't know if, if you can do me a favor, if, you know, next time, you know, is your mom still with us? Sadly, no, oh, but she did, she did write a memoir too called Birthdays in the Cemetery, A Childhood in World War II Manila. Okay, I'm gonna have to pick that up. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm really proud of her because she she was so brave. I mean, at age 19, she left her country, she left her family, and she came to the United States because that had been her dream for a long time. Um, so, yeah, and then she built a life here, and and she was so creative and such a wonderful person, and yeah, I mean, she's really. I owe both my parents a lot. They're they're the ones that made me the person I am today. And it's nice that you have that support. Um, so going into the flying aspect now. So um, so now when you started flying, you ran into another challenge that a lot of individuals run into, and unfortunately, they don't get themselves out of it um, the way you did. And that's with an inexperienced flight instructor. Um, it seemed like a super, at least from the way it sounded. So if this person's listening, she said you were super nice. Yes, <laughs> she said, <laughs> you know, as a person, you know, having a, you know, uh, sharing a, a chocolate milk, you know, <laughs> she, she loves you. <laughs> um, but you know, everybody, ha you have to be, I always tell this to folks, you know, too, you have to be willing to be bad before you'll ever be good. Right. And so unfortunately for some people that are student pilots, you, somebody has to be a CFI's first pilot, <laughs> so first student. Um, and so you had a very inexperienced flight instructor um, who was very protective, it sounded like, of you. Um, and basically he wanted to make sure that you were at commercial pilot standards before he was going to let you solo. That was really true. <laughs> um, so now a lot of people, when they get into a situation like that, um, and so just for those listening, um, so Cecilia wasn't uh, allowed to really solo, you know, when most people would be able to solo. And now when a lot of people get in a situation like that, they, they, they would honestly, a lot of people would quit, um, you know, and they would say, well, maybe this person doesn't think I'm good enough and I should have enough hours. So compared to everybody else, you know, I've done all this work. Um, so maybe this isn't for me or they're just afraid to have conflict and say, dude, what are you doing? I, you know, I, I, you really should let me solo. Right. Um, so how did you overcome? So if somebody else is in that situation, cause to be honest with you, if you don't get past that situation, none of this other stuff you have done will ever happen. Um, so how, you know, if somebody gets in that situation, how did you get work through that? And how would you recommend somebody else work through that? All right. So the first thing I would say is don't make the mistake I did, which is just call up a flight school and take the first instructor who answers the phone. You should have a set of questions and you should ask people, how many hours do you have? And in my opinion, which is maybe not what most flight schools want to tell you, um, you should have an instructor that has at least 1500 hours. And the reason for that is 1,500 hours is the, you know, what it takes to get an airline transport pilot rating. And all too often, this isn't true for everybody, but all too often there are many instructors who are instructors only because they want to build time so they can get a job with the airlines. And, you know, that's fine. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody who's doing that is a bad instructor because a lot of them are really excellent instructors. But your odds are going to be better if you, as a brand new student pilot, go out and find somebody with a lot of experience. And um, 1,500 hours actually isn't that much experience, just so you know. Um, but the other thing that's really important is, you know, if you feel uncomfortable with, with an instructor, like if you're sitting in the cockpit with them and you feel like it's, it's just not working out, it's okay to say, you know what, I want to try flying with somebody else because we're professionals. I mean, if somebody says that to me, I don't mind. I say, you know, maybe you need somebody who has a different style. I have a particular style as a flight instructor and maybe somebody wants someone else. 
you know, so if your instructor ever makes you feel uncomfortable or unhappy, you know, maybe it's time to find a different instructor. And, um, you know, of course, if you go through three different instructors and they all make you feel bad, then maybe it's you and not them. But, you know, um, but don't don't be so quick to say. I'm not a good pilot. Right. And this is what I said at first. Oh, I must just be bad at flying. And you know what? Maybe I was when I started out because my fear really did make me kind of stiff. So I can't really say that my instructor was saying the wrong thing to me, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what? Everybody, I, I don't think there's a lot of people out there that, um, you know, don't start flying, you know, stiff. And I know I mentioned this once before, before we get started, but you know, I have a saying I say all the time, you've got to be willing to be horrible um, until you get great. If you're never That's horrible, so you will never be great. For those of the, those people in my generation who know who Eddie Van Halen was, Eddie Van Halen didn't pick up a guitar when he was eight years old and rip, you know, the solo for eruption. It took him eight hours of practice a day for 20 years. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it takes time. You gotta be, but you have to be willing to pick up the guitar. You gotta be willing to step in that airplane for the first time. So, um, I want to skip around a little bit of my questions because it, it actually, this I thought actually was really interesting. And uh, I tried talking my wife into this and she turned it down. Um, and I remember in the book, you talk about your husband a little bit too. So um, I, you actually, and I actually think this is a great idea. And I want your opinion if after the fact, if you still thought this was a good idea after you did it, um, you bought an airplane before you soloed. You bought yes. a 150, a Cessna 150. And um, before you soloed, and in your mind, it was to save money. I'm sure there was more to it than that. Uh, everybody, every pilot wants to have their own airplane. Um, and so, you know, um, but I, one of the ways I do tell people to take a look at, now sometimes you can get to a maintenance issue and all of a sudden you didn't save any money. Um, but uh, owning your own airplane, one, you get to know what an airplane is a lot better than if you're renting it. Um, you get to understand the parts to it much better. And I spend time with it just on the ground and, um, much more than you ever will if you're doing a pre-flight and a rental. Um, and you know, you can start flying more because you have the airplane. Now it's just gas and maintenance. So, so in, in hindsight, 2020, um, did that work out well for you? Do you recommend that? Yes, it was absolutely the right decision for me to make. Um, and it enabled me to fly more because I, I mean, I wasn't poor, but I was definitely middle class and flying was something that I really had trouble affording. Um, I actually took a second job to help pay for flying lessons. And what I realized is that I was getting to the point where the rentals were so expensive that I was saying, you know, I shouldn't do this. I can't afford it. And so I was going to fly less and less. But what I realized is that if I bought an airplane and not, you have to watch out for this. All right. I bought a cheap old Cessna 150 for $5,000. And that was a big sale, a big investment for me. I had to get out my first big loan for $4,000 to afford to fly the plane. And, um, you know, sometimes I talk to young people and they say, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy, you know, um, a Mooney or I'm going to buy, you know, and they name some really hot airplane. I'm like, no, the worst thing you can do. I mean, as a matter of fact, it's dangerous. I really believe that it's dangerous to buy. It's, it's kind of dangerous to be rich and be a student pilot because you can afford much more airplane than you can handle. The advantage I had is that I didn't have much money. So I had to buy these cheap, old, kind of ugly airplanes. And every time I got it, I was, I, I was scraping and I was at the bottom. I was getting the plane that was just, at the, you know, that was at my skill level. And then I built a lot of time in it and I built my skills up. And so I do, if you know for sure you want to fly, and if you have some money saved up, and you're willing to forego luxury, other luxuries, um, buying a plane can be great. But the really best way is to buy a plane with two other partners. A partnership of three is the ideal number. And um, yeah, and the, 
it worked out well for me because the other advantage of airplanes is they tend to appreciate in value. So I was almost always able to sell the planes for more than I paid for them. And in some cases, I flew for a year or two for free. You know, you kind of can't beat that. Yeah, you never get uh, that. You never get that struggling. rental. Yeah, you never get that rental charge money back. Never. Yeah, that's right. So, um, but really, buy a plane that's less exciting than you really don't buy your dream airplane because that can get you in trouble. It, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Cessna 150 was all the airplane I could handle when I was a student pilot, and I'm glad that's the plane I chose to get. There's a young lady um, who has some really incredible, beautiful videos from her airplane um, and she'll fly cross country and just has just unbelievably remarkable videos. Um, and she can do that because she can fly slow. She does, you know, the airplane can, you know, if you get a strong wind, uh, I was flying to the Adirondacks one time in a 172 and uh and I, I i made my friend freak out because we were basically able to hover over the highway um because the winds were so that. strong um and i was able to slow that airplane down so much without it stalling um and you know what you know it's like the bonanza right they call the you know the nickname for the bonanza is the doctor killer because just because you can afford it doesn't mean you can handle it um and when we unfortunately just had a um, um selino and barnes uh, the lawyers up in buffalo new york uh, I forgot which one. I think it was Celino. Celino. Uh, now, I don't want to be unfair to him because I, I don't think NTSB has come out and give the report, but he was flying. He nosedived uh, a TBM. And so a TBM is not a rookie pilot airplane. Um, that is a high performance, super duper. You want to be a professional level pilot for a TBM. Um, so yeah, so enjoy enjoy those slower airplanes, enjoy the, you know, enjoy being in the air, you know, um, don't be such in a hurry. I, I saw something said, you know, they go an extra 30 knots. It costs you like $150,000 more. So, you know, I mean for next, you know, so what can you do for 150,000 and you're only going to get there 15 minutes faster or half an hour faster. So just enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy being in the air. Um, so anyways, all right. So, so you, know, you went and you, you, you went through a couple different instructors um, and you finally, it seems like you clicked the third flight instructor you clicked for you. Um, really great. It seemed like, so now what was the spark? Cause you didn't even have your pilot's license yet and you got a spark about aerobatics. And so how did, so how did that happen? How did that spark come about? So, yeah, so one of my three flight instructors, um, was also an aerobatic instructor. And she was a really experienced pilot and kind of, you know, kind of plain spoken. And I adored her. I, I, I super adored her and I admired her. And she started talking about teaching aerobatics. And I secretly, I thought to myself, oh, I will never be the sort of pilot who can do that. But I love hearing her stories. And so that kind of lodged that little spark in my brain about how fun and admirable it was to fly aerobatics. One, one thing um, I want to say before we continue on, the one thing I'm hearing over and over again, and I want, again, you know, I'm, I'm really focused. This, this is for anybody, obviously, right? I don't know if you're, whether you're eight years old or you're 80, 108 years old. Um, but ideally, I, I really wanted to focus this in on my young ladies um, that are interested in aviation. And one thing you have said over and over tonight, whether you mean to or not, um, is you talk about that self-doubt, um, that you will have self-doubt, but you have the strength to move past that self-doubt. Um, and I really, I want to point that out because I want my young ladies out there and my young men too, um, that, that fight with self-doubt. Um, I want you all to hear this and see that, you know, that is a mindset and it takes work. You have to take that first step. Then you have to take the second step. You have to take a third step, but you get to the goal. Um, you have to keep working at it. And so I want, I want, when you're listening to Cecilia talk, I want you to get that from her conversation. Um, all right. So with that, um, all right. So now one thing I also heard, you know, when I was picking up in the book a lot of time, 
is that you, before you started flying, you really, and you talk with, you know, kind of with your mom as well. You really had that follower attitude, right? Um, and when you're in aviation, somebody's got to get the airplane back on the ground. Things go wrong and you can't look for help all the time. You have to be a leader. Um, and so one thing I was noticing in your book, whether you designed it this way or not, is you could follow in your book, the progression of you going from follower to leader, um, which was really exciting. And that is actually a huge thing that we promote at Civil Air Patrol with our cadet programs. Um, as a matter of fact, we have a course in the very first book is followership. Our second book is leadership. You don't be a leader until you learn how to be a follower, but you can't be, you know, but at the same time, there's a progression. You have to go from followership to leadership and you have done that. Um, so, so how did aviation help you with that? Wow. Okay. So first of all, that is so true. And I really wish I would have known about or been able to participate in civil air patrol when I was when I was a young girl. I mean, I think it really would have helped me because I never I never really got training in being a leader as a child. Um, it was not something that was expected of me. Um, my teachers certainly didn't expect it. Um, I was supposed to be good. And, um, you know, my dad did encourage me to be creative and, and do well at math, but he never said be in charge of, you know, be in charge of a research group. I mean, that was just not something that was in my, in any of my training was, was leadership, responsibility, these sorts of things that I know you teach in Civil Air Patrol that are so important for everybody to learn, not just women, women and men, because I run into men who have the same issues. They've never been encouraged to be leaders or they've, they think that being a leader just means sort of belligerently asserting something. And that's not the case. A leader has to be empathetic, has to understand the needs of the people they're leading and has to do what's best for the group. And this is something that I think a lot of women are very good at, you know, and um, having the ability to say, I'm going to take this stance. I'm going to, excuse me, I am going to make a decision and I'll take input from other people, but then I will make the final decision. That's something that's so important for life in general, and all of us need this. I mean, we as a community need people who are willing to make decisions and stand on those decisions and not always look to somebody else who they think is stronger, right? Because sometimes the person who is stronger or more belligerent is wrong. That's right, yeah. Yeah, the, the louder one isn't always the right one. That's true. Um, you know, there's, um, I, I read, there's another great book. I'm a manager in my my day job here. So I, I, I had a, an individual on my team. This is a long time ago, 15 years ago. And he was the quiet in the corner type person. Um, and there, and anybody who ever, if anybody in here is in leadership positions, um, there's a great book called The Introvert Advantage. Um, have you? such yes. a good great book, book. Yes. such a good book um so if you're in a position of leadership um i actually I, it's one of the books i do recommend to leaders is um the introvert advantage you know it really does help because that that person that's quiet in the corner that might be your most brilliant person with the best information ever and as a leader your job isn't to tell everybody what to do and what the best answer is your job is to go find out what the best answer is and that per that Absolutely. quiet person in the corner they may have the best answer um, Absolutely. So, um, all right. So uh, now we're going to get into areas where I am completely jealous of you. And we're going to get into the aerobatics, which people have probably been listening to this for 40 minutes going, Bob, for, for goodness gracious, you have a world-class aerobatics pilot. Why are you not talking about aerobatics? You know why? Because it's my show and I get to talk about what I want to. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, so, so you... So, get your own show. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyways, um, so when you went before, right before you went into aerobatics, you got into a Cetabria yes. and, um, and like most Cetabrias, I think it was yellow. I think you said, Oh yes, it yeah. was yellow. Yeah. The orange. yellow Cetabria, <laughs> the orange Cetabria. Um, now I had, now I, and when I read this in your book, a light bulb went off cause it never dawned on me to, to look at the words Cetabria backwards oh. because Cetabria backwards is what? It's 
aerobatic. It's aerobatic. I've never, never even thought about that. So all you other pilots out there, um, how many of you are as stupid as I am that for all these years, you, you see Satavrias all over the place and you've never, you've never reckoned, you know, that it's kind of like a beginner aerobatic plane, but you've never drawn on the fact that it actually says aerobatic in the name written backwards. Um, I don't know why I never even realized that anyways. So, so how did your first flight, not, um, uh, not, um, aerobatics, but how did your first flight in your Satabria go? All right. So I, I was working as a flight instructor and I was terrified that a student was going to put me in a spin and I'd done the basic spin training, but you know, it's not enough. And so everybody said, what you really need to do is take a basic aerobatic course. And of course I was terrified. Um, you know, take an airplane upside down. I don't think I can handle that. So I found a local flight school that, that had a Satabria and I, you know, steeled myself up to it. And I got in the plane with the instructor who was very careful. He didn't just jump in the plane. He explained everything on the ground first, took about an hour discussing what we were going to be doing, which is absolutely important. If you ever fly with an instructor who doesn't give you ground instruction, move on to somebody else. <laughs> um, so, because the, oh, because the important thing to remember is the cockpit is a lousy classroom. You wanna learn things on the ground and then practice them in the air. Anyway, so here we were flying in the Satabria out to the practice area and, um, so we do some clearing turns and then my instructor says, all right, I'm going to demonstrate a roll. And so I thought, great, you know, and I'm hanging on, I'm a little scared. We go through the procedure just the way he described it. You know, I see the, I look out, the, the Satabri has um, a window on, on the roof. And so I look out the roof and I can see the vineyards going, going by. <laughs> and um, well, I was terrified, of course, but even worse. When we got done with that roll, I felt really nauseous. I thought, oh no, oh no. So my instructor says, you wanna try one? And I said, no, we have to go back now. And he said, well, how about just one more maneuver? Cause you can tell he was disappointed. And I said, no, we have to go back now. See, by this time I was, I had learned how to make decisions. <laughs> I said, we must get on the ground right now. And sure enough, I barely made it back without getting sick. And I didn't, I didn't get sick as it turned out, but it was close. Um, so the other thing I want to say is that it is possible. So I did overcome not only fear, but also a really kind of weak stomach. I, I really had a tendency to get sick, to get air sick. And yet I overcame it to the point where not only could I do these very high G and high negative G maneuvers, but I could fly with students going through and doing long shavaks and, and you know, outside snap rolls, and it didn't make me sick. And talk to any inst instructors and they'll say it's when the student is handling the controls that's the worst. But the point is you can overcome that too. Yeah, so. I had somebody else flying an airplane a couple of weeks ago on me. And, um, I was actually in the back seat of all places, uh, which I'm never in, I'm never in the back seat. Um, I'm either left seat or right seat. And, um, and he had, um, CFI, he was having, he had the other pilot do a stall maneuver with me in the back seat. I didn't know he was going to have him do that. And that freaked me out. I was ready to like reach around the seats and grab the yoke if I needed to. Um, it totally freaked me out. Yeah, it, it made my stomach go. I I almost never get sick to my stomach anymore. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a different world. Um, I, I got about maybe five or ten more minutes. Do you got a few extra minutes with us? I'm uh, happy to talk about flying as long as you want. <laughs> don't tell me that. We'll be here till three in the morning. Um, so, so we didn't have Oshkosh this year. So I have all this pent up, <laughs> this pent up desire to talk, aer you know, aviation. So, um, so now you went, um, you had that aerobatics and you got your Satabria and amazingly, I wish I had an instructor like this. I had some really great instructors, but, um, you, you had this, this one instructor was really great. And he said, go do a competition. And you're like, competition. <laughs> I just started learning how to do a couple of things. And he, but yet he, one of two things, either he realized that by making it more official, more 
of a real thing that you really had to do that was going to give you the drive to get that much better, that much faster, which is super smart. Um, you know, or, or, you know, I, I mean, I've lost track of what the other thing I was going to say was, but, um, but I thought that that was, <laughs> I thought that was really smart of him, um, to really, oh, I was going to, oh, the other thing I was going to say was, or he saw in you that you are extremely competitive, right? Um, I, I mean, I, I, I see that. I'm sure you can see that from yourself. You, you don't, you don't do what you did without being competitive. Um, so he must have seen that and said, you know what? I'm going to unleash Cecilia. I'm going to unleash Cecilia on the world and see what happens. Um, which is the hallmark of a great educator. Um, so anyway, so how did your, I'm not going to go through all of your, um, your aerobatic stuff, but, uh, how did that first, um, your first aerobatics competition go? All right. So, yeah, no, I think my instructor, I mean, he encouraged everybody to fly contests. And I think it was the first thing you said, because he knew that it makes everybody a better pilot. I mean, competition flying is just, a, it's a great exercise, even if you're not competitive. But if you are, it's really, it adds an extra dimension. Um, so, yeah, so I went to my first contest with another instructor from the field and, um, you know, we shared the cost of um, of flying there in in the Satabria, and uh, you know, then we we got there and it was all very strange. Everybody else knew what to do, but we didn't. But I had a friend. You know, it was good to go there with a with another pilot that that was also a beginner. And uh, I told my instructor that I was kind of embarrassed because I didn't think I was a very good pilot, and I was worried I would come in last. And what he said to me has always stuck with me. He said, he said, you know what? There's nothing wrong with coming in last because then all the other pilots will like you. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, and so my friend and I flew and neither of us came in last. That was our goal. But you know, we didn't do very well. We were kind of close to the bottom, but we had fun. And we decided we were going to keep on with it. And that was really the goal of flying competition is having fun, doing it safely and learning more about flying. And I also made a lot of great friends. Everybody who was above me in the contest. No, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there was that those two people that were under you that hated you for the rest of your life. <laughs> so yeah, everybody was friendly. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, um, I've been to a lot of those competitions and uh, there is absolutely a camaraderie because um, one, there's not a lot of people that do that type of stuff. Um, it's a small niche group. Um, and so they are almost always, I've, I've had the luxury of doing a couple of uh, short takeoff landing uh, competitions and um, nobody, I mean, yeah, you care, you know, and yeah, you get ribbed on if you do a bad, you know, if you have a bad, you know, long roll or something like that. But um, overall, everybody loves everybody It's community and you all support each other. And, um, it's fantastic. So if anybody's out there and if you have any thoughts to yourself of, you know, well, I'm just going to fly from point A to point B, you are missing out on 95% of what general aviation is. Um, and, and so go get your pilot's license, learn how to fly from point A to point B safely, and then go out there and meet the rest of us in the community. Yes. Um, it is so much fun. Um, Absolutely. even if you come in last, the only time coming in last gets you really in trouble is if you're in the African safari and you're getting chased by a lion. That's the only time that coming in last really is really a bad thing. Uh, so every other, you know, in aviation, it's, it's perfectly fine. You know, we, like, like Cecilia said, you probably get more friends by becoming in last anyways. Um, you know, and like you, you know, you go to your Senka competition and you win it, but I'm not going to get, <laughs> you probably had some people go, Okay, where'd this person come from? Um, but we're not going to get too much into that because here's the deal. I, I want to let people know that the stuff that we've talked about so far is really the first third, uh, maybe you know, going into the first half of this book. Um, and then the second half, I don't want to ruin it for the readers. Um, and even the stuff that we've talked about so far, there's so much great information in, in, that you go into um, and so it's, it's really warming, um, again, as a father of two daughters myself, um, you know, it's great. And, and be honest with you, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, hog tie my old daughter into the chair and make her listen to this. Um, so, because she's <laughs> being the engineering student, um, because I know that she probably has some of those thoughts in her head too, at this stage. Um, 
But uh, but anyways, I want you all. Cecilia does a great job of going into some of the rest of her career um, as an aerobatic pilot. Um, really detailed into going to France and helping to design basically her own airplane um, and how to get through that. And um, I was telling Cecilia when we got started that Cecilia and I have the exact opposite problem. So Cecilia is five foot two. Yes. So it's five foot two and she breaks a hundred pounds after she's had, you know, um, a lot of food to eat. And um, I'm six foot seven. So Cecilia had a problem because in these airplanes are really designed for around that five foot 10 um, height. And so when you get plus or minus four inches, give or take of that five foot 10, all of a sudden the airplane's not designed for you anymore. And so Cecilia is well under it. Uh, we know if you can't, we got a couple of minutes. Tell, tell everybody the story about how, how did you handle not being able to reach the rudder pedals? All right. So boy, if I had known, I would have brought an example of my elevator shoes. Um, so I actually had, um, special shoes made that had a four inch thick sole so that I could reach the pedals because in a rental aircraft, you can't put rudder pedal extenders on it because, well, first of all, they might fall off in an aerobatic plane. And secondly, um, you can't make a permanent change because it's a rental plane and other people fly. Um, so I sat on a stack of cushions about 10 inches high and, um, and I had uh, special shoes with these extra, um, this extra layer of so, so, so everybody, you're, you're now going to see a hard cut because <laughs> Cecilia was very nice. Uh, she wanted to show you an example. And I have actually seen these shoes on another YouTube video. Um, so, so Cecilia was nice enough to go grab them real quick. So you're going to see kind of a disjointed edit here. Um, and now if you're watching, if you're listening to this on podcast, unfortunately, you're not going to get the chance to see this. Um, but uh, Cecilia will do a great job explaining them. So Cecilia, what do you got to show us? So this is, this is, um, Oops, let's see if I can show it here. Yeah. So um, I went to a shoemaker um, and asked if he could build up a sole on top of just a regular pair of shoes because they had something called um, elevator shoes, but they were super expensive and they were they actually needed kind of a medical prescription. But this any any shoemaker can do this. So if you are a little short, don't, I mean, I actually had an astronaut come to me and was also a little short and she um, wanted to fly a pits. And so um, she came to me and I explained how I got these shoes made and anybody can do it. So if you are on the short side, um, there's always ways to do this. The other problem I had, by the way, is that I was um, at a hundred pounds. I was actually, um, below the minimum weight in, in a single seat pits. You have to be, or in any pits, you have to be 140 pounds. Otherwise your center of gravity limit is going to be too far forward. Obviously that's unsafe. Which for folks um, that aren't, so, for, 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 sorry, for folks that aren't pilots, what that means oh, is, um, yeah, no, so there, there's a lot of people who are listening who, who aren't gonna be pilots. So, so if that happens, the nose, the nose gets really heavy and it drops down. And so when you're landing, it's hard for you to, to lift the nose up um, and you could actually have a nose strike um, on a landing. So that's why it's really important. I'm sorry, I just wanted to explain that for the non-pilots. Thank you. No, thanks for catching me on that. Um, so what I, so I spent a lot of time thinking about this and finally um, came up with the idea of getting some dive belts um, at, that have lead weights on them. And by the way, don't this you shouldn't try without approval from, from your instructor because it was, you know, my instructor said, I need to actually look at this. But I, I got these lead weights and strapped them to the seat below me, and that and it was 40 pounds. And that enabled me to solo uh, my my first, you know, pits biplane in a contest. Um, and make sure your instructor checks out how you do this because it's obviously very risky if it had come loose for example you know 40 pounds at six g's is 240 pounds 
smashing through the windshield, it would have been a disaster. So it's that's not something I recommend. The shoes, that's shoes with thick soles. That's a great advantage. But the, I love the shoes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the lead weights. Mm. Or if you need to add yeah, extra maybe weight. Maybe I should have just eaten a lot of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be more fun. Um, yeah, and I'm sure, and I forget the, the actual term, but I'm sure that um, uh, the amount of time the FAA can yell at you is is past. So if you're listening from the FAA, leave Cecilia alone. So, okay, so, so um, you know what? And, and for the folks that are listening, um, you know, th those types of stories are what's basically filled into the second half of this book. So as as Cecilia, and I don't, I'm not, I don't want to ruin all the stories. Otherwise people are going to be like, well, I didn't need to buy the book. I heard the stories. Um, so I want you to go out and get the book um, as, as well as I'm going to mention this again, when, after we say goodbye to Cecilia, but um, you know, if, again, it, men have, you know, the same problems um, as young ladies do sometimes. Um, I absolutely wanted to have this conversation for our young ladies out, you know, in STEM programs or looking at aviation. Um, and so if, if you are a young lady, uh, if you have, if you're, if you have a daughter, uh, who might be going through things like this, um, I really recommend this book. I think it's, it's great. I know that this book is actually going to be given to, I don't think she's listening to me. This book is going to my daughter uh, for Christmas. So, um, and, and I, I hope that she reads it and, uh, you know, Cecilia, after I give her your Twitter account, maybe she'll say hi to you. So she likes Twitter. So, um, uh, so say hi back. absolutely. So, um, all right, so I had one last question, and it has nothing to do with you. So um, you have a daughter, Diana? Yes. Is she your only child, or? No, I have a son as well. His name is Ken. Okay. And, um, yeah, my daughter's 25, and my son's going to be 21 next month. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Doesn't it start making you feel old when the kids start getting into these ages, and you're like, oh, my yes. gosh, where's the time gone? I have another question I had was, has either one of your children gotten into uh, aviation? They're both very interested in it. And um, I know my daughter used to want to, she, for a long time, she planned to solo on her 16th birthday. Mm -hmm. But then sadly, she, she had a couple of health issues and wasn't able to do it. Um, and my son keeps telling me, will you teach me to fly? <laughs> and um, I say, okay, sure. You know, but you've got to pay some of it. You right. know, I'm not, this, it has to, it has to mean something to you. I've, I've flown with students where their parents paid a hundred percent of their um, flying lessons and it doesn't mean as much to them. If you have to work for it and you know how many hours it took to buy each flying lesson, people work harder at it. So so yeah, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think they, I think that they will eventually learn. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. Well, that's kind of, we kind of got through the list for the most part that I had. Um, so I wanted to ask you before we wrapped up, was there anything else that you wanted to mention to anybody watching this, whether they're in civil air patrol, outside of civil air patrol, anything that, um, we didn't discuss that you wanted to talk about? Thanks for asking that, Bob. And yeah, there is one thing, another reason, a really important reason I wrote this book. And it's, I mean, I have a message here for really for anybody. I mean, if there's somebody in your life that suffers from low self-confidence and maybe it's a girl, maybe it's, you know, a young man, maybe it's a young woman, maybe it's, you know, an older person that, you know, um, so many people do, for whatever reason, get messed up by our society to think they are less than they really should be. And, you know, reach out to, to somebody who thinks they're, because there's, there's kind of, if somebody thinks they're great at something, they probably aren't. <laughs> and if somebody, you know, is struggling and isn't sure whether they're that good, they probably have a lot of potential. Um, so reach out to somebody that's struggling and tell them they can do it. And, you know, sometimes people come to me and they say, well, what can I do to get more women in aviation, to just get more women in math? And, you know, you don't have to start a nonprofit. You don't have to do something big. You can find one person and you can help that one person believe in themselves. And it can be, yeah, it can be a relative, 
It can be a friend, it can be a neighbor, anybody. It can be a stranger, but do that for one person. And if everybody does that, that's how we're going to get to a better place. Because that's really what activism is, is giving hope to one person at a time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's powerful. So if we all did that, just think of the changes we could make in this world. So, um, all right, well, very good. Well, Cecilia, I want to thank you very much for all your time today. You gave us a lot of time. We're way over the normal. So, um, so, so definitely thank you for hanging out with us. You can tell Cecilia has been part of a lot of hanger talks that just go on for hours and hours and hours. So, um, and if I didn't thank pull you, the Bob. plug, I know that the two of us would end up just talking till you know midnight. Um, yeah. So thank it's you. Been so much fun. Thank you very much, Bob. Very much. So Cecilia, um, now do you still go to air shows at all or? I do. I still go and I don't fly air shows anymore. I've retired from flying shows, but I do fly. Um, I fly my family. I still instruct. And um, I love to visit air shows and, and see people doing amazing things. All right. Well, hopefully someday um, I'll get a chance to uh, ping you. Maybe we'll be at an air show together and I can meet you in real life and shake your hand. So uh, I would love that. Now being six foot seven and you being five foot two, I'm going to have to reach over to shake your hand. Um, but, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but I hope to meet you in, in real life at some point in the future, post post COVID-19 world. <laughs> so, um, all right, Cecilia, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. All right, everybody. That was Cecilia. And I hope that you all had a great time. Uh, really inspirational. Um, you know, I don't have a ton of book authors. I have recently, for some reason, I've had like two or three book authors on recently. Um, but they've all been on here, not because they've been authors. They've, they've been on here because what they've written has really been impactful. And I think it can be impactful, uh, either to you personally or to somebody that, you know, so, um, again, I guess, uh, you know, I guess Oprah Winfrey has her, uh, her book list and what the heck Bob Roberts is going to have his book list. And so, so Cecilia Aragon is and uh and flying free is going to be on the bob roberts book list uh I'll, I'll promote that for christmas um so uh you know like everything our um our links um you know for twitter are at aerospace underscore live uh, for twitter um i try to tweet a couple times a day and make sure people know who's coming on and, and, and events are happening in aviation and space this isn't just about aviation we also teach space at Civil Air Patrol. Um, our YouTube channel, which most of you are probably watching this, if you're watching or, or watching it on the YouTube channel. And on podcasts, uh, we recently started the podcast. So I think this is going to be episode five. So this is relatively new for podcasting. Um, and that's aerospace-live. So if you're Twitter, it's underscore live. And if you're on podcasts, looking forward, it's dash live. And of course, if you are interested in uh, go, uh, Civil Air Patrol, whether it's you or if there's a, a young member that you might uh, think would benefit from our program, or you just wanted to learn more about it, about half of our members are senior members. Um, I never had a child that was in Civil Air Patrol. I was not in Civil Air Patrol as a child. Um, so if you are uh, a senior member, there's a lot of great things you can do working with our youth and working with emergency services, um, as well as our cadet programs. So if you want to learn more, uh, visit GoCivilAirPatrol.com. Now, Cecilia's information, um, the links to her book, as well as her Twitter, um, I am going to put down in the show notes. So if you would like to, uh, go ahead and you can pick up the book that way, or you can actually follow Cecilia on there. With that, I hope everybody enjoyed this show. It was a little longer, but I think it was worth it. And um, thanks, everybody. Hope you have a great night. Bye-bye.